Live from Leverett Park, USA, I'm Tavis Smiley, and you're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. So glad to see you and me back in stride again. Our phone number, 1-800-920-1580, 1-800-920-1580. All of our socials can be found at KBLA 1580. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, everything at KBLA 1580. Let me also invite you right now to download our app at KBLA 1580 and listen to us live anywhere in the world in real time, but only if you have the app at KBLA 1580. Should you miss us any day in real time, check out the podcast of our program by going to the app, the website, Anchor, Spotify, Apple, so many places to get the podcast and listen at your leisure should you miss us any day in real time. But I am delighted to have you along live with us today for the next three hours. You can also watch the live stream of this program by tapping on the KBLA TV icon on our app or by going to our YouTube channel. And let me invite you to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at The Real Tavis Smiley and get Twitter updates at Tavis Smiley. Another good show on tap for you today in our second hour as we celebrate our mothers this weekend. What about those mothers impacted by America's criminal legal system? We will speak with Ryla Neer about the challenges certain mothers face trying to navigate the maze of mass incarceration. Do we have the capacity to reimagine public safety, to replace cash bail with fair alternatives and foster a system that offers support and treatment rather than criminalization for mothers grappling with mental health, or, for that matter, substance issues? Can we create a system that nurtures and uplifts families rather than tearing them apart? We'll talk about it in Hour 2. In our third hour, speaking of incarceration, growing up on the tough streets of New York, he was incarcerated multiple times and survived being shot nine times with several bullets still lodged in his body. We will talk about the transformative power of personal narratives in communities of color with Bishop David Sanders come our three. But in this first hour today. If I'm president, I will have that war settled in one day, 24 hours. How would you settle that war in one day? First, I'll meet with Putin. I'll meet with Zelensky. They both have weaknesses and they both have strengths. And within 24 hours, that war will be settled. It'll be over. It'll be absolutely over. Do you over. want Ukraine to win this war? Uh, I don't think in terms of winning and losing. I think in terms of getting it settled so we stop killing all these people and breaking down this, this country. Now, Will you pardon the January 6th rioters who were convicted of federal offenses? I am inclined to pardon many of them. I can't say for every single one because a couple of them probably they got out of control, but. You know, when you look at Antifa, what they've done to Portland, and if uh, you look at Antifa, look at what they've done to Minneapolis and uh, so many other, so many other places. Look at what they did to Seattle and BLM. BLM. Many people were killed. These people, I'm not trying to justify anything, but you have two standards of justice in this country, and what they've done, and I I love that question, because what they've done to so many people is nothing. Nothing. And then what they've done to these people, they've persecuted these people. And yeah, my my answer is I am most likely, if I get in, I will most likely, I would say it will be a large portion of them. You know, they did a very... And it'll be very early on. 
and they're living in hell right now. You defended the comments that you made on that Excess Hollywood tape about being able to grab women how you want. Do you stand by those comments? I said, if you're famous and rich or whatever I said, but I said, if you're a star, uh, you are, and I said, women let you. I didn't say you grip. I said, women let. You know, you didn't use that word, but if you look, women let you. Now, they said, will you take that back? I said, look, for a million years, this is the way it's been. I want to be honest. This is the way it's been. I can take it back if you'd like to, but if you're a famous person, if you're a star, and I'm not referring to myself, I'm saying people that are famous, people that are you stars, were asked in the deposition, people that are rich, to be a star people that are powerful, yes. uh, they tend to do pretty well in a lot of different ways, okay? And you would like me to take that back? I can't take it back because it happens to be true. Just so you understand, I had every right to do it. I didn't make a secret of it. You know, the boxes were stationed outside of the White House. People were taking pictures of the GSA of the various I people. I gotta stop you right there, though, because moving. the Presidential Records Act, which is not well known to a lot of people, I read it. It does not say that you can take documents with you. It says actually that they it are the property you, of the federal government. It says you talk, you negotiate, you, you make a deal. It's not criminal, by the it way. Does not, not, it's, it does the not Presidential Records negotiate. Act is not criminal. <sighs> Last night was worse than I thought. Yesterday, as you recall on this program, Connie Rice, our regular contributor, and I were just all kind of chagrined about what we uh, knew was going to happen last night. But it was much worse than I even thought. A 70-minute free media platform for Donald Trump. Uh, to my mind, it was shameful. It was disgraceful uh, on the part of CNN. It was a live uh, Trump rally. Free rally on national television, uh, cheering and booing at all the appropriate places. Um, again, only two words I can think of this morning that come to my mind. Shameful and disgraceful, but again, much worse than I even thought. It was a circus. And it's been funny to me to read all the mainstream media coverage this morning who are covering this, including the New York Times on down. Maggie Haberman and all the other writers at the New York Times on down, treating this like it was a legitimate affair, not the circus that it actually was. That's just me. Let's talk politics now in this hour with the editor of The Nation magazine, D.D. Guttenplan. D.D., how are you today? I'm really glad to be with you, Tavis. Call me a longtime listener, first-time talker, but it's great to be here. It's my great honor to have you on. I thank you for those kind words. Um, you heard me just a moment ago offer at least a bit of what I thought about it, but that's not uh, the real point of this hour. The real point is to get uh, your temperature and to get your take on things uh, as a, a writer, uh, uh, editor, in fact, for The Nation magazine. So let me just um, ask a broad question. We'll jump from there for the rest of the hour. Um, your sure. thoughts. Your thoughts on what you saw last night. Well, yeah. Well, luckily, um, and I say this with great pride, the New York Times, the, the, the Nation magazine, of which I'm the editor, doesn't consider itself part of the mainstream media. Mm -hmm. And my my colleague, our national affairs correspondent, Joan Walsh, uh, watched the whole program, so some of us didn't have to, although I, I did, because I thought <laughs> I did have to. <laughs> and... I don't know whether we're allowed to use the word she used to describe it. You can bleep it if you want. She called it a predictable shit show. Um, and I think, you know, the second part of that characterization is less important than the first part, which is that CNN had to know what they were getting into when they set this up and when they agreed to whatever Trump's conditions were. In other words, he is the leading candidate for the Republican Party. He has been president. If he offers you a no-holds-barred interview... I mean, I would take it. You know, I don't. I don't fault him for taking the chance to 
to interview him. I, I fault him for putting it in a setting where he's got a laugh track when he makes sick jokes about, for example, you know, uh, the police, the police officer at the Capitol, uh, when he makes racist remarks about the police officer at the Capitol, uh, when he exculpates the January 6th, you know, uh, plotters and, uh, and insurrectionists and then gets an applause line for it. So, you know, to, to agree to do this in front of a Republican-only audience or a Republican and Republican-leaning audience and to do it in New Hampshire, you know, an early primary state, so we know what Trump got out of it. And we know what CNN got out of it, which is ratings. But the rest of us, frankly, should be ashamed and embarrassed, particularly we'll, those of us in the media. Nope, I couldn't agree more. We'll talk a bit more about uh, some of the takeaways from this town hall last night in New Hampshire for Donald Trump. And there's a great deal more to talk about in this hour. Diane Feinstein has uh, resumed her Senate duties after a long absence due to illness. That impacts a lot of things in the Senate, excuse me, particularly in the Senate Judiciary Committee. We'll talk about that. And speaking of the Judiciary um, the, 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 the chorus is starting to get a little bit louder, uh, calling on Clarence Thomas to resign over these stories uh, that we've been reading of late uh, about the gifts and the free trips, about his mama's house being bought and paid for uh, by Harlan Crow. His mother pay, lives there and pays no rent uh, over the, uh, the, the stories now about um, uh, paying for the education of his nephew, who he raised as his son. All the stories we've been reading and talking about on this program about Clarence Thomas of late uh, are starting to, uh, again, uh, create a chorus uh, of, of calls for him to resign over these undisclosed gifts. I don't think that's going to happen. The real question is, what is the Senate Judiciary Committee prepared to do about it as these allegations, uh, these um, these stories continue to come out uh, about his uh, bad behavior? A lot to get to in this hour with D.D. Gutton Plan, editor for The Nation magazine, who you're listening to right now on KBLA Talk 1580. Unpack a little bit more with Tavis Smiley. The conversation continues right now. Right now. It does indeed with our guest in this hour, D.D. Guttenplan, editor of The Nation magazine. We are talking initially in this hour about um, uh, the circus last night. Uh, I can't use the phrase that Joan Walsh uh, used, although I love Joan, D.D. Uh, I love Joan, a uh, longtime um, uh, friend over the years uh, on this program uh, from time to time. Uh, great reporter, a great writer for The Nation magazine. So I can't use her term, but I just, I'll just call it a circus since it's a family show around here. Um, but there were a number of things that came out of this last night that I think are worth unpacking, at least for a few moments, as much as I hate to. Um, sure. uh, let's, let's talk about a few things that came out of last night, uh, this, uh, this uh, town hall meeting that Trump uh, was given. Uh, on CNN last night. Um, in no particular order, five or six things I want to get to right quick. Number one, Trump says that the GOP should be willing to blow up the debt ceiling. I raised that issue, obviously, because tomorrow uh, the president and McCarthy, the speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy and uh, Joe Biden are meeting once again to see if they can figure out a way beyond this issue of the debt ceiling. Your thoughts on Trump suggesting that the GOP should just blow it up? Well, you know, part of the problem with Trump is it's hard to tell when he's serious and when he's being hypocritical or when he's just lying. I mean, it is true that, you know, because as they say in the song, if your lips are moving, he's lying. Mm -hmm. um, he's, uh, when he was president, the debt ceiling went up and up and up and, and nobody gave him any trouble about it. Um, you know, the Republicans suddenly had this concern for, for the fiscal implications of the debt ceiling and, uh, and uh, the budget when it, when it came, became a chance for Kevin McCarthy to, balance the budgets on the on the backs of the poor 
Um, so in that sense, you know, Trump, maybe he meant it. Maybe he meant, you know, I wasn't bothered by the debt ceiling and nobody else should be, which is actually a, a, not a bad argument in that, the, you know, the 14th Amendment says that the debt of the United States shall not be disregarded. In other words, it says clearly in the Constitution, we have to pay our debts. If we say we're going to pay something, the government says it's going to spend this money, it has to do it. So <clears throat> the debt ceiling was a kind of after World War One effort to control public spending by conservatives at the time. And, and if Trump says that we should disregard it, he's right. He is occasionally right, just like a broken clock. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if he's saying it's okay to shut the government down over it, which is what the Republican right in Congress is threatening to do, <clears throat> then he's being hypocritical because, you know, he didn't care about it when he's president, so how come he cares about it now? Yeah. Um, issue number two uh, that came out of last night, uh, he repeatedly ducked questions about whether he would sign into law a federal abortion ban. I raised that uh, primarily because um, he obviously was granted uh, this free media by CNN last night, the day after being found guilty in the E. Jean Carroll uh, rape and defamation case, of course, a civil case, not a criminal case. Uh, but this happens, obviously, as we all know, the day after. Uh, and I'm raising it uh, primarily, D.D., because I'm curious as to how you think that is going to affect Trump with women voters. Uh, and there are a number of ways this can cut, but specifically with regard to the vote, not even so much the policy when it comes to women. What, what did you make of uh, his ducking that, that issue last night? Well, I thought the way he treated the the moderator uh, was appalling, frankly. I mean, you know, she was struggling, and to be fair, it was a pretty much impossible position that CNN put her in. So, you know, I don't think anybody would have struggled, but Trump's clear contempt for her, his dismissal, his failure to take her seriously or, or to answer her questions, his persistent talking over her was something that probably a lot of women will recognize in behavior. Um, so I don't think he helped himself with women voters. And I also think we ran a piece two weeks ago by the writer Francis Wilkinson mm-hmm. that basically pointed out that the E. Jean Carroll verdict may be the beginning of justice for, for Donald Trump because, you know, he does very well on television, as we saw last night, particularly with his base. Uh, he knows how to play the media like a violin. But all of those talents, including the talent for being able to lie, you know, at the drop of a hat and shamelessly and sometimes convincingly, they don't help you in court. In court, you need to have the facts on your side and you need to have the law on your side and you need to have credibility on your side. And E. Jean Carroll had all of those on her side. And what what I think is likely the case is that this is the first if you like the first sparrow, you know, that there are other cases. There's, you know, there's the prosecutor in Georgia who's sure. about to bring indictments. There's Alvin Bragg here in New York. Uh, you know, there's every indication that finally uh, the federal special prosecutor is going to actually do something. And the, the point is that whether some crimes are weightier than others, some cases are easier to make than others, Trump has, in fact, a history, and this is what we pointed out in the nation, of not doing well inside a courtroom. Remember, it was a courtroom where his charity was shut down, where they were mm-hmm. forced to pay back tens of millions of dollars. It was a courtroom that found that the Trump organization was a criminal enterprise. So I think, you know, one omen of this is that the, long, the more time he spends in court yeah. over the next year, the less good it's going to be for him. 
Yeah, but there is a clear distinction, as you well know, between the court of public opinion and a court of law. And I take your point uh, loud and clear. Um, the other issue uh, that I want to get to, Trump uh, did not say last night whether he would back Ukraine in a war with Russia. That's interesting to me for two reasons, not the least of which is because we have given billions of our dollars as uh, U.S. taxpayers, whether we want to or not, um, because Joe Biden has basically given Ukraine an, uh, a blank check. Uh, and one could debate that for hours if we had the time. Uh, but uh, we have heretofore done everything in our power to back Ukraine except put boots on the ground. So if uh, Trump last night uh, doesn't uh, say firmly that he's going to back Ukraine, if he's elected, reelected, we, that could signal a 180 degree shift in the war between Ukraine and Russia. Not to mention, uh, we all know the backstory of tr uh, Trump's buddy-buddy relationship with Vladimir Putin. What did you make last night if he's not committing to back Ukraine in the war with Russia? Well, again, I wasn't surprised by it, but it's always hard to know when Trump, you know, <laughs> when Trump is telling the truth. I mean, the truth is that Trump ran as a candidate who, both in 2016 and 2020, who dissented from the kind of military-industrial complex consensus that's governed this country since the end of the Second World War. And I, you know, I take your point that we don't have time to debate the rights and wrongs of American policy in Ukraine and in relation to Ukraine here. But, you know, with all due respect, it's probably worth a program sometime because there isn't enough debate in this country mm -hmm. about what our tax dollars are getting, what they're paying for, mm -hmm. the risks we're taking. We recently ran a piece about how the world came very close to nuclear war. The Russians fired at a British jet, which was a surveillance plane over Ukraine. And it's only because the Russians' missiles misfired and didn't hit the jet that the jet, which had a crew of 35 people on it, wasn't brought down. If the jet had been brought down, that would have triggered NATO's Clause 5, which says that an attack on any one country is an attack on all countries. And we would have been, you know, right at the edge of nuclear war. And we were only saved from it by accident. So I, I think that's a debate very much worth having. And it's one of those cases where, again, like a broken clock, Trump sometimes makes sense when he talks about the fact that the way this war is going to end is not through one side or another getting military victory, but through being brought to the negotiating table. Of course, you know, he thinks of it as a deal and he thinks of himself as a great negotiator when the truth is all he did was undo negotiations. You know, he undid President Obama's Iran negotiation, which took an immense amount of work and was a, you know, made the country and the world a lot safer. And Trump just blew it up. So in terms of actual talent as a negotiator, he has none. But in terms of being in favor of negotiations and in terms of pushing for negotiations, you know, I think this is an example where, you know, just the, just because he's for it doesn't mean it's wrong. Um, I should mention, uh, <laughs> Didi, that we are uh, speaking of uh, talking about the war in Ukraine and how it deserves more time. We've done that a number of times with your colleague and friend, my friend Katrina Vanden Heuvel of The Nation. Uh, and we had uh, James Banford on as well about that story, about uh, almost. Uh, God bless. Yeah, almost kidding. <laughs> You're welcome. I thought you might I thought you might like to know that we had him on uh, to talk oh, about I, that story. I, I, I... That must have been when I was busy working. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no problem. We had him on talking I'm about. Glad to hear about it. No, That's no, great. that was a that was a fascinating uh, conversation. The, the audience will, will, will recall that uh, we had him on talking about how we almost got into World War III. And of course, I, as I said earlier, I love Katrina, so we always talk about Ukraine with Katrina. I just wanted to mention that to you. Uh, two more things, right quick, before I move uh, move to uh, sports news and traffic, and we'll continue, of course, on the other side. But I want to get these out right quick. Um, Trump said, "No surprise here," but just to see him say it was just with with such boldness that he, in fact would pardon 
many of these January 6th rioters. Now, we just saw the Proud Boys found guilty the other day, but Trump says if I get elected again, uh, I'm going to pardon many, most of these rioters. Your thoughts? Well, I mean, I think that's what his campaign is really all about. And it's, you know, it's not really about pardoning the January 6th conspirators. It's about pardoning Donald J. Trump and, and, you know, and his relatives who are all in jeopardy. Uh, I think that it's absolutely true that if, if you don't want Trump to pardon January 6th people, if you don't want him to pardon those rioters, if you want to make sure that, get, that justice gets done against the people who threatened to hang Mike Pence and who stormed the Capitol and, you know, destroyed, uh, you know, federal property, then you've got to make sure that he does not get elected president because this is one promise I am sure he will keep. Yeah. Um, finally here, um, Trump suggested that the family separation immigration policy could return once again if he is reelected. Uh, I raise that because today, as we know, uh, Title 42 comes to an end. Uh, there are hundreds, thousands, in fact, of U.S. troops at the border right now. Uh, there are many who expect there's going to be a surge at the U.S.-Mexico border starting like right now, uh, and hence those uh, 14,000 troops across uh, the U.S. border right now. Given the Title 42 expires today, we talked about that in detail yesterday with our regular contributor, Ruben Navarrete Jr., and Trump says last night that the family se separation immigration policy could return. Uh, not good news for those, those of us who believe in respecting immigrants and who care about meaningful immigration reform, Didi. Yes. Well, those of us who care about meaningful immigration reform really need to press both parties, and particularly the Democrats, to step up and articulate a policy and do something about it, as opposed to wringing their hands, clutching their pearls, and continuing on with Trump's racist, brutal policies, which I'm afraid is a fairly accurate description of what the Biden administration has been doing so far. I mean, I think the Biden administration has really failed big time on immigration, and that is shameful, shocking, and likely to inhibit uh, their efforts to get votes out among immigrant communities in 2024. So, you know, I, I think this is very dangerous in all sorts of ways. I also think that those of us in the media ought to really examine our consciences because, you know, there's going to be there's going to be a lot of people trying to come into this country over the next few days. But in the overall context of U.S. immigration, our population and our labor needs, it's not a big deal. And yet we are you're going to see headlines all over the country, you know, surge of immigration, waves coming in the border. It's baloney. Nope, I totally agree. Uh, and uh, Ruben Navarrete Jr. again made that point yesterday, as he does all the time, that on this issue, this one issue, immigration, uh, Joe Biden has been precious. Uh, Joe Biden has been uh, not much better at all. Uh, precious little has been done on immigration uh, between the Biden years and the Trump years. Joe Biden really not just that much better at all on immigration than Donald Trump. And that's coming out of the mouth of one who is uh, progressive on a progressive radio station. But the truth is what it is. Uh, finally here, uh, the one thing that I found uh, humorous about last night, I always uh, crack up when Trump does this. He has a way, as you know, of giving people nicknames. You recall he called Marco Rubio, Lil Marco. I love that one, Lil Marco. Called Ted Cruz Lion Ted. He called uh, Jeb Bush Low Energy. And last night he broke out DeSantimonious. Ron DeSantimonious. <laughs> Uh, the governor of Florida. Okay, that was funny. Ron DeSantimonious. Only Trump uh, can do it like that. Uh, enough of that. Uh, but uh, we could not ignore uh, the circus last night. We all saw it. 
uh, and thought we'd unpack at least some of the stuff that came out of that. And uh, you can uh, take that for what it's worth. Let's move on. Other issues to cover when we come forward after news, traffic and sports with Didi Guttenplan, editor of The Nation magazine, who's on, who's on our KBLA Talk 1580 right now. Some other news we want to cover in this hour with our guest, D.D. Gutton, playing editor of The Nation magazine. We've been spending um, the first half hour of this uh, conversation talking about the circus last night on CNN, uh, Donald Trump getting this uh, free media <laughs> last night. Uh, again, I, I can't say enough about that, so I'll move on. Um, but there are other things, again, I want to talk about. Dine Feinstein. Uh, we are, uh, D.D., uh, based in L.A. This radio station is flagshipped in L.A., heard across the nation, but based here in Los Angeles. And so we have a, we have a particular interest in this Dine Feinstein story. Um, there are a n- number of people running for her seat um, when she uh, steps down at the end of next year. Uh, and there are other persons, uh, including yours truly, uh, in terms of uh, transparency, who suggested publicly that now is the time for her to step down. Um, she has returned now to duties after being gone for some months. She's now 89 years old. Her absence, as you know, has uh, has stalled uh, judicial appointments, resulting in some party members, as I said earlier, calling for her resignation. Uh, but now she's back uh, and uh, trying to hold on well, through the end of her term. What What do you make, though, of the fact that she is back? Will that make a difference at this point in these judicial nominations? Well, first of all, they say she's back, and they did a kind of a theater of her going back yesterday. But mm-hmm. um, if you read the press rec- account, she released a statement saying, I'm back and everything's great. What she actually said is, why can't I walk? Why can't I walk? I mean, you know, it is... It is brutal to have to focus on this woman's disability. Mm -hmm. But the fact is she is unable to discharge the duties of her job. You can understand, I suppose, why her staff, whose salaries depend on her being there, are eager to conceal this fact from the public. But uh, And you can see why on humanitarian grounds her colleagues might not want to, you know, push her. But the truth is that it's not just... President uh, Biden's judicial appointees who've been stalled. And let's remember, one thing Donald Trump was really good at was appointing a lot of right-wing judges and getting them confirmed. And if we're going to ever have any hope of getting close to balancing that, there's really no time to waste in, in confirming President Biden's appointees. So that that's a big deal. That's not just a procedural thing. That's a big political thing that we're all going to be living with for, for years. But it's also true that they can't really investigate effectively the ethics of Clarence Thomas or other Supreme Court justices with conflicts of interest, because he is not the only one who deserves to be investigated, although I have argued recently in print that he deserves to be impeached. Um, But again, that can't be done without a majority on the Judiciary Committee, and you can't have a functioning majority if she's not really there to put in the time. The fact that she's in Washington is something, and I suppose if she's capable of putting in the time on the Judiciary Committee, maybe that'll make a difference. But she has not shown she's actually capable of doing that. A few things in that regard. Number one, uh, I mentioned um, that there are a number of persons running for her seat. Uh, For those who don't know, certainly uh, most Californians, I think, are aware of this. Barbara Lee, Katie Porter, and Adam Schiff are the three persons uh, uh, vying for that seat at the moment. Uh, again, that uh, seat is up at the end of next year, number one. Um, n- number two, 
Uh, I've said before, uh, DD, that Dianne Feinstein reminds me of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And with all due respect, I don't know what it is about these powerful white women. Uh, and uh, let me be clear, many, 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 many more powerful white men <laughs> heretofore. Yeah, uh, no, that's who, an important caveat. Yeah, very, very important caveat. Um, who, who who don't know when it's time to go. I'm thinking of, you know, the, the, the song. You got no one to hold them, no one to fold them, no one to walk away, no one to run. Uh, and they don't yeah. they don't seem to know. And we, we suffer, I think, greatly, uh, never mind her grand legacy. We suffer greatly because Ruth Bader Ginsburg didn't know when it was time to go. Barack Obama tried gently to get her to step away, and she would not. Now, in this case, uh, Dianne Feinstein, as long as Gavin Newsom is governor, will not be replaced by a Republican. So that's the good news for for this, for, for Democrats across the country uh, and for certainly for the state of California. Uh, if something happens to Dianne Feinstein or she changes her mind, she'll be replaced, uh, presumably, by a Democrat, given that Gavin Newsom gets to make that pick. That's how that's how Alex Padilla got there. Uh, the pick was made uh, when Kamala Harris became uh, vice president. So right. we, 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 can, we can take some respite in that, uh, some, some relief in that. And yet, here's what, here's what troubles me, that everybody seems to look the other way. Let me just read to you what Chuck Schumer, uh, the majority leader, said yesterday. And this is how you know people are just putting their heads in the sands. Chuck Schumer says, and I quote, My friend Diane is back in the Senate and ready to roll up her sleeves and get to work. She's 89 years old. Many days she doesn't know where she is. You heard Didi say a moment ago she's asking, why can't I walk? Why can't I walk? Clearly her faculties are failing her. And Chuck Schumer doing the Jedi mind trick <laughs> makes a statement that he's pleased that his friend Diane is back in the Senate and ready to roll up her sleeves and get to work. See, that's the kind of nonsense that I don't like, D.D., and it's it, it underscores for me, with all due respect to Diane Feinstein, we all at some point have to do that dance with mortality. Diane, D.D., me, and you right now, listening. We all got to do that dance at some point. But this gamesmanship is part of what I think moves so many fellow citizens, D.D., from being skeptical to being cynical about the political process. I agree. I couldn't agree more. And I, you know, I say that in the expectation, since we've never met, that you are a much younger man than me. So this is, this is some way off for you. But I have two. I have two comments on it. One mm -hmm. is, um, I think it's disgraceful the extent to which Chuck Schumer and Dick Durbin and the Democratic leadership have been complicit in covering this up and in keeping their heads in the sand and in not addressing this, particularly as you point out, because. What will happen if she resigns is she will be replaced by a Democrat appointed by Gavin Newsom. And, you know, that, there, that can only be a good thing. You know, you may have your favorite candidate. I have my favorite candidate to replace her, but that's not the point. The point is that unlike Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who should have gone when Obama would have had a chance to replace her, we know that Dianne Feinstein is going to be replaced by a Democrat if she leaves now. So there's really no political reason for her not to go. But here's the part that struck me as interesting as you were talking, because mm -hmm. I, I'm 65, and I am not as fast as I was when I was 30, let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but we, I agree with you that the, the, there are too many particularly old white men who hold on to power. I'm afraid the person I thought of was someone who shouldn't have had power in the first place, Strom Thurmond. Sure, sure, sure. Stayed in the Senate, you know, Past, probably past the point where he was biologically alive. Um, but, <laughs> but where does that leave us with President Joe Biden? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just throwing that out as a question. 
No. Wondering whether you or your whether no, you or your a, listeners have thoughts on that. Let, let, let me let you me. Know, let, she's eighty nine and yeah. she clearly can't function. Biden seems to be functioning pretty well. Yeah. But you know that's now. We're, you know, what about in five years? Yeah. So, so here's, here's my response. Um, I take your point, and I have concerns about the president's age as well. Um, and I, I think, frankly, you know, Democrats and Republicans, um, certainly Democrats, um, have uh, let people stay in power much too long. Uh, and I think it turns off voters um, in, in, uh, in many ways. But let me set that aside for the moment. Uh, President Biden, uh, so long as his faculties are working properly, um, and he's uh, he's leading and, and making progress. Uh, he's not as progressive as I want him to be. Uh, he's making progress on a number of fronts. And so long as he's making progress and his faculties hold up, then, you know, it is what it is. I, I don't tell the American people who they should vote for or how they should vote. I do believe I do believe that once you get to a point uh, where you're dying, Feinstein, you're being you're being rolled in and you're making comments that people can hear. And the media is reporting things that you are saying. You, you, you don't recall this. You don't recall that. Um, that, that, that's, that's problematic. And for me, that, this is just me talking for me, it is senior abuse. I don't think what we're doing to Joe Biden as yet has become senior abuse, but I think what we're doing to Diane Feinstein right now, DD is senior abuse. And those are two different things. Well, I, I think that's an interesting response and I probably agree with it. Yeah. But, so, I yeah, mean, you know, I mean, the president certainly seems capable of discharging the duties of his office at the moment. At the moment. And that's the key phrase, right? <laughs> at the moment. Uh, and, uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, because Donald Trump, if you look at, you know, I hate to take us back to that terrible place last night, but this was not the Donald Trump of 2016 either. Mm-hmm. You know, this, this was a guy who he had his little routines and he'd slip into them, but he was not capable of thinking on his feet. Yep. No, it's, I mean, but again, at the end of the day, as I said earlier, we all eventually have to do that dance with mortality. So it's no surprise <laughs> that, that as you get older, you slow down, your faculties don't work as quick. You're not as fast on your feet. That's just, it, it's called life. It, it's, it's called aging, right? Um, and it happens to all of us and, and why these persons just won't step aside and make room for others who, um, again, uh, have more energy. And I, I think there's something too. let me say this right quick before I move forward. I think there's something to being regarded as an elder statesman. And I don't know for the life of me why some people don't see that point in life, that place in life as an honor, uh, as a place of distinction. There's something honorable. And I, I think there's a great distinction about arriving in a place where you can be regarded as an elder statesman. You don't have to stay on the stage your whole life. Nothing wrong with being an elder statesman and offering help and support to those. I think they probably stayed maybe a little while too long, but I I, I have respect for the way that Nancy Pelosi and James Clyburn and Steny Hoyer eventually stepped aside to make room for a younger generation of leaders, including Hakeem Jeffries and others. That's the way you do it. I digress. We'll talk about Clarence Thomas, who Didi Gutton playing just uh, mentioned moments ago uh, when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. Didi Gutton playing. I mentioned it. You mentioned it. Let's talk about it now. Clarence Thomas. Uh, we all know the stories. This audience is uh, rather familiar with uh, the story of Harlan Crow, the uh, billionaire Republican uh, mega donor. Uh, who has given uh, Clarence Thomas, and Clarence Thomas has gladly received all kinds of gifts and luxury items and travel. And we know that Harlan Crow bought Clarence Thomas's mama's house, and she lives there without paying rent. He paid for Clarence Thomas's nephew, who Clarence Thomas calls his son, raised him as his son, uh, paid for his education, etc., etc., etc. And the chorus uh, isn't as loud as uh, I'd like to see it, but it is warming up.
uh, with these calls for Clarence Thomas to resign over undisclosed gifts. I doubt uh, that Clarence Thomas is going to resign uh, if, if he if he fought through those those hearings 30 years ago. Uh, and, uh, and, and <laughs> I can't imagine this is going to force him out. But it raises the question of what the duty, the role, the responsibility is of the Judiciary Committee, speaking of Diane Feinstein, in this regard is. Your thoughts? Well, first of all, let's start with the things that not everybody knows. So everybody thinks that judges are appointed for life, federal judgment judges, but that's not actually what the Constitution says. Article 3 of the Constitution says judges, quote, shall hold their offices during good behavior. And uh, that's the end of the quote. Mm-hmm. So what is, what is good behavior or what is bad behavior? Well, a total of 15 federal judges have been impeached on charges ranging from drunkenness and mental instability to bribery, perjury, and treason. Of those 15, eight were removed from office. And I'd like to draw your attention to one of them, a man named Robert Archibald, who in 1910 took his wife on a trip to Europe paid for by Henry Cannon, an officer of railroad and coal companies that sometimes had business before the court. So Archbald was impeached, which is to say indicted by the House. And then when he was tried at the Senate, he and his wife both testified. His wife said that Cannon was her cousin and that the two families had frequently enjoyed traveling together. The New York Times thought that his wife's testimony was a triumph and that Archibald's own testimony, in which he admitted accepting the gifts but denied any impropriety. So that's, you know, let's think of that in relation to Thomas's saying, well, he would have, Thomas's defenders saying, well, he would have voted that way anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, the Times thought that, that Archibald was strong in his defense, but the Senate didn't, didn't buy it, and he was convicted and removed from office. And uh, it seems pretty clear to me and to anyone who looks at the history, and if you look at my article in The Nation, there are links to the history, um, that the corrupt relationship between Ginny and Clarence Thomas and Harlan Crow clearly exceeds any standard set by Archibald's impeachment. It's also probably worth mentioning that everything we know about this, we know thanks to the wonderful investigative work done by the folks at ProPublica, who really have taken this story done a deep dive Mm -hmm. and explained it all in clear and compelling fashion. And I just want to salute their journalism while I'm here and while I'm commenting on it, because I'm commenting on their work. Uh, But their work was terrific. And, you know, they showed that he took him on this trip, which would have been worth half a million dollars, that he bought his mother's house, that he paid for his nephew's education. And let's, let's think on that for a second, because... What's interesting about that is... Hey, Didi, hold that, that thought. Didi, Didi, hold that thought. One second. I hate to do this to you. I, I do want to think on that for a second uh, when we come forward. All right, Didi, we said we want to think on it for a second. We actually got more than a second, three minutes to be exact. Take it away, my friend. Okay. Well, so the, the uh, Justice Thomas paid for the tuition for this nephew of his, Mark Martin. And what strikes me about that are a couple of things. First, that if he had... That he had made a declaration earlier when another friend of his had given him $5,000 to help cover Martin's tuition in this private school he was sending him to, uh, Thomas had declared that. Now, if he had declared the Harlan Crow contribution, it's probable that we would have considered this a story to his credit. After all, you know, many of us have had 
family members who've gotten into trouble, we've taken them in. Uh, you know, and the fact that he did that is entirely to his credit. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he didn't disclose it means he knew he had something to hide. And I think that's what's significant about the story is that he disclosed an earlier contribution. He didn't disclose this one because he felt that his relationship with Crow was something he wanted to keep secret. So I think that's, as they say, evidence of, you yeah. know, a guilty conscience. It, it also underscores the point for me, uh, and it, it points up the inconsistency in his story, that he didn't know that he had to report it. Well, that's right. And, you know, and his statement that he said, now that they've, now that they've made the rules clear, he's going to dis- declare other contra- you know, future gifts mm-hmm. from Harlan, Harlan Crow. Well, you know, if you or I rob a bank and then they catch <laughs> us outside on the pavement, maybe we do this together. It's a nice day, you know. <laughs> and we say, oh, we didn't know we're not allowed to take this money. We're going to give it all back. Do the cops just say, uh, you know, Travis, Don, you go yeah. on your way? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't happen like that, does and, it? Yeah, and I thought you were—I thought you were going to pick up on the point that we 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 get away with it this time and say we'll 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 do better next time. That's what I thought you were about to yeah, say. Right. That, sure, yeah, the, sure. the next time we rob a bank, we'll. Because <laughs> that's what that's what that's what Thomas is saying. He's not saying I'm going to go back and report everything I didn't tell y'all about. He's saying, oh, now that I'm clear going forward, I'll report everything. Uh, and I think. It's, it's 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 a sad day if 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 the Senate Judiciary Committee. Well, that's, yeah. So, yeah. so in our in our remaining time, the real question is, what are we going to do about it? Exactly. What are the Democrats going to do about exactly. it? What is Joe Biden going to do about it? You know, and and impeaching Clarence Thomas is a step. Uh, he certainly deserves to be impeached. I, I think he deserves to be removed. But it's also true that you're not going to change the balance of this report by of this court, this mm-hmm. right wing fanatical ideological court by removing one justice, that would still give the, the right wing a 5-4 balance. And, you know, I think for changing the balance of the court, you've got to look to my colleague and the nation's justice correspondent, Ellie Mistal, who's pointed out that there is no constitutional bar to Biden appointing additional justices to change the balance of this court. And to those who say, well, if the Democrats do that, then, you know, the Republicans are going to respond in kind. They've been shooting us for years. Yeah. You know, the question is, when are we going to start firing back? Nope, I think you're right. Uh, but let me just say this, uh, Didi. I'm not holding my breath that the Democrats, the role you just called, the Democrats, the president, ain't nobody doing nothing about this. Clarence Thomas is going to get away with this, sadly, I think. And uh, Ellie Mistall, uh, none better than him. Love, 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 love that guy. Didi Guttenplan, good to have you on. Thanks for sharing time with us. We'll do it again down the road, I hope, my friend. It's a great pleasure to talk to you. Let's let's do it again. We will. That's our one, just like that, of Tavis Smiley. Two more hours to go after news, traffic, and sports on KBLA Talk 15.